nutrition's um, going to be really important, so it's often actually overlooked. So if you think of when someone goes to a sort of physiotherapist post-injury, they might not specifically think of nutrition um, in the role that's going to play. But it kind of makes sense in order to help your body to heal and repeat. Um, it's going to be really important to provide it with nutrients that are required to help facilitate that healing. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. My name is Alan McCubbin. I'm an accredited sports dietitian, lecturer and researcher in sports nutrition at Monash University in Melbourne. And I'm joined as always by my colleague and fellow sports dietitian and researcher, Steph Gaskell. What's happening with you, Steph, this week? What's happening with me this week? Um, I'm going to take up a new sport, Alan. Remember that message I sent you this week in the lab? I did, yes. You inspired by my taking up of trail running. What have you done? <laughs> I did um, indoor climbing the other night and uh, it was a lot of fun, even though I'm like partly scared of heights. Um, bouldering is like you don't go as high up mm. and um, yeah, it was super fun. So I'm honestly like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the like there's north side boulders. Mm. I'm going to, I reckon I'm going to give that a crack and yeah, right. How are your forearms? Yeah, yeah, they actually were so sore for about three days after. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've had some fun. And then I went for a run with um, Andrew's, um, he's going up to the Olympics for massage with the runners and the walkers. Mm-hmm. Um, he took me for a run down his end, which is Warrandyte. Have you been down that way much? No, no, no. Oh, I've um, sort of ridden through there, but. Yeah. yeah, stunning trails, like mm. awesome trails. Um, he killed me. Um, I'm pretty unfit at the moment. So I'm, I'm trying to get myself and thinking that I'll be five-hour fit for your study. <laughs> and uh, I went for like a 90-minute run with him and I was like, he gave yep. me a few heels. So, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. But um, other than that, studies, yeah, studies are cracking along. Um as I think everyone's getting into the lab now, like, and um, uni's starting up again soon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, semester two, I think, starts in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, back to the grind from a teaching perspective as well. Mm. What about you? Any crazy adventures? Like a, you said you were going to take up trail running, so you yeah. got more into that? Uh, not trail running, but I took my seven-year-old to Werribee Gorge. Oh, cool. um, yeah, which is a pretty full-on hike for a seven-year-old. It's pretty steep yeah. up and down and sort of follows a river. And because it rained a lot the first week of the school holidays, by the time we got there, the river was a lot higher than it normally is. Yep. And so some of the, the ground along the edge of the river that you normally walk on was underwater. So there's a few places where we mm-hmm. had to get sort of rocks and logs and strategically place them in the water to walk across mm, or sort good. of rock climb around ledges hanging out over the water. So yep. He yeah. loved it. Yeah, that's slipped, good. He only slipped in once. He's got a foot yeah. in the water, but that was okay. That uh, and he right. did the full yeah. 10.5K circuit, which is some pretty steep ups and downs and technical rocky bits. So, yeah, yeah. it's impressive. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. And um, what about you? Anyone coming to do some more five-hour runs or...? 
Uh, no one planned yet. We've been talking to a few people. I think because of the lack of racing last year, that's been a, a bit of a tricky one in terms of recruitment that either people are sort yeah. of like, now there's races on, uh, I want to do that rather than come to a lab. Uh, and then other people are sort of saying, well, I'm just, I haven't trained that volume for so long. I don't think I could do the distance. So, yeah, so if any yeah. uh, Melbourne-based ultra runners are out there who would like to mm. do some long-run training uh, in a nice warm environment, watch some Netflix, uh, mm. get a whole lot of testing done and learn a lot about your body and, and sodium replacement and your sweat losses and things like that, um, yeah, we put an, another post up on social media at the start of the week. So uh, have a look at that at The Long Munch on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and get in touch if you're interested. Awesome. Cool, do that. And if you don't want his, then come do mine. (laughs) (laughs) You had to put it in there, didn't you? I had to. I couldn't resist. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, here on The Long Munch, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask. This is the sort of stuff that people are often debating, uh, often round and round in circles in the coffee shop or out on their long ride or run or something like that. Uh, and so we break it down, invite a guest expert or an athlete to uh, provide their perspective on things. So if you have a question that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can hit us up at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. We've had a few people suggest topics that uh, have either become or in the process of becoming episodes on the podcast. So it's it's always great to, to hear from people or if you've just got any feedback about the podcast as well we'd love to to hear from you and uh, we've had a couple of um a couple of people give us uh five star ratings for the podcast on apple Podcasts, which is fantastic so a big thank you whoever you are because those of course are anonymous we don't know who's done those but always great to get that feedback uh, and the other one is we actually had a, a review of the podcast also um, on Apple Podcasts from uh, Dan Fitzroy. So a big thank you to Dan, saying he's really enjoying the show and should get him through Run Lara Pinta, which is happening um, not not too far ahead, about a month or so ahead, I think 26th of, of August from memory, that that one kicks off. Mm-hmm. And uh, our team's actually been there before, the team from Monash Uni, that is, um, doing some research there a couple, probably three years ago now. Um, but uh, I don't think we'll be there this year. But, um, yeah, good luck with the, the race, Dan, and, and great to hear from you, and thanks for the feedback. We have also got a shout-out that you alerted me to, to uh, just the other day. Yeah, yeah, we've passed 10,000 downloads for the podcast, Woo! which was, uh, yeah, very exciting. So a big thank you to, to everyone who's listened to these podcasts, whether you've listened to just one or two or the whole lot. Uh, we've had a lot of fun doing them over oh, probably about nine months now, I think. Mm. Um, yep. And yeah, it's great to, to get feedback from people uh, that we do mm-hmm. get from time to time on social media or, or people that we know that are, that are listening. Um, and then, yeah, to, to see all those downloads come through is, is fantastic. So big thanks to, to everyone for listening. Mm. Yep, thank you very much. Now, Steph, I know we've been chirpy so far it's been a good week we've been happy but we started to talk off air just before about our topic tonight which is nutrition and injury and i could see the frown starting to appear on your face mm, so the eyebrows tilt in that direction <laughs> and uh the blood pressure start to rise and i just get a sense that you're not happy about something something to do with nutrition and injury What's on your mind? Mm. 
Well, Alan, it is when we get injured, and I must admit, when I was young and maybe I hadn't studied nutrition yet and got injured from running, I probably fell into this spot. So I'm probably like swearing at myself right now too. At your past um, Not that I'm, yeah, not that I'm swearing at anyone. Um, so when when we get injured, I think it's a, a natural thing that we think, well, you know, I'm, at, I'm not out there training as much, so I don't need to eat as much. I don't need to consume as much energy. So some people may do that to, um, you know, too severe um, and really cut back on their energy intake because they're worried that they might gain weight. Uh, and you know, as we'll find out, um, energy intake and making sure we actually have enough energy uh, in is really important for our our recovery. Um, so, you know, okay, yes, if you do get injured and you're not expending as much, yeah, perhaps you don't need as much as when you were training like to a really heavy load. But when our when we are recovering, our um, that process of recovery is actually a energy expensive process. So we do still need to be really good with our energy in. Um, and as you'll hear from our guests soon um, about quality nutrition too. So uh, I, I think often when we get injured, we don't always think about the nutrition stuff. You know, we, we're thinking about, okay, well, or maybe we've got to go see a surgeon, we've got to go see the physio, we've got to talk to the coach, you know, what, what are we going to do for the training? Um, and nutrition often can get put to the side and not seen really as, as having an important part to the injury recovery process, but it can in actual fact have a really big impact. And hopefully that's what our listeners will hear tonight um, when we talk to our, our guest Beck. Yeah. Well, that was said like pretty good therapy, Steph. You sounded pretty angry at the start, but within about 30 seconds, you were serene. <laughs> you sworn to your former self down. internally, of course, and that's just sorted you out. Has it sorted it out did. the injury, though? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. I've got, yeah, I've got my flatmate and she's been listening to me, so hopefully it's sorting her out. So, yes, she can learn from your past mistakes, perhaps. She can, yeah. she can, I hope. <laughs> our topic this week is uh what do i need to do for in terms of my nutrition when i'm injured mm -hmm. yep a really like common thing i'm sure that everyone experiences is injury uh so yeah we've we've got a a person that's done the phd in this area alan um, yeah. And that you um, actually kind of started doing some work with her pre-PhD time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're going to be joined tonight by Dr. Rebecca Alcock, or today, depending on when you're, you're listening to this. Um, and so, yeah, you, you're quite right. So Beck um, did her uh, honours at Monash with us. Uh, and the study we talked about a couple of episodes back with um Richard Bowles, who did the five-hour run, the simulated multi-stage ultramarathon in the lab on a treadmill, that was Beck's honours project. So, yeah, she started there and then moved across to the Australian Institute of Sport and did a PhD there and also with um, the ACT Brumby Super Rugby team. So she sort of moved into the, the team sports field after that. 
Um, but that PhD was all about nutrition and its effects on connective tissue health. Um, and that obviously has links to things like tendinopathy and, and injury and so forth. So um, having done that PhD in, in that space and specialising and looking at things like collagen and gelatin and bone broth and all those sorts of buzz products that get thrown around in the, in the context of you know, injury and, and rehab, um, we thought it'd be great to get her on to discuss that. And, and now she works in, in contact sports where there's obviously a lot of injuries. Um, both soft tissue and sort of bone and, and connective tissue injuries. So we'll have a chat to her uh, about all those different types of injuries and, and the role that nutrition may or may not have in those. What's what's good science and, and what's hype? Yep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right, Rebecca Alcock, welcome to the Long Munch podcast. How are you going? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, pleasure. Great to have you on. Now, you completed your PhD last year um, on the topic of nutrition support around connective tissue health in athletes, which is a bit of a mouthful, um, but it's obviously very much related to our topic of today's podcast around sort of nutrition um, and, and what do I do from a nutrition point of view when I might be injured. Um, firstly, though, I'm just interested in how you came to do a PhD in that area. Obviously, it's a pretty sort of niche area of nutrition. So what got you into it? Yeah, very specific indeed. So it was actually by chance, to be honest. Um, so I just completed my honours with Ricardo and yourself, Ellen, um, yep. on the topic of nutrition support for ultra endurance in runners. Um, I went to the AAS to do the sports nutrition course to become an accredited sports dietitian. And it was there that Greg Shaw had mentioned there was an opportunity to do a PhD, which is essentially an extension of his paper with Keith Barr, looking at gelatin intake and its impact on biomarkers of collagen synthesis and material mechanical properties of engineered ligaments. So the PhD was kind of a three-way arrangement. It was at uh, the AIS um, and based through ACU and also included a servicing role at the ACT Brumbies. So I was actually really lucky to be mentored um, in my first role working in team sports. Um, but it's definitely a topic of interest and worthwhile in the setting that I currently work in now, which is predominantly in team sports. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously working in contact sports, obviously injury is something that you come across quite a lot in lots of different shapes and forms, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about the PhD in terms of what you actually studied? So, I mean, you, you talked about sort of engineered ligaments and things like that. What, what does that mean and, and what does it actually involve? Yeah, so I'll tell you sort of the PhD path that kind of ended up going down. So I went around a lot of different um, paths and ended up at a lot of dead ends, um, <laughs> as is pretty common in a PhD. Yeah. Uh, so essentially we were aiming to sort of fill some gaps in the literature, um, such as things like looking at optimal protein source, which may support collagen synthesis and connective tissues. And then we were going to use that data to sort of implement a study um, with the Brumbies athletes. Um, however, it didn't sort of end up being that way um, after a lot of kind of uh, research and going to different different universities and talking to different experts. Um, because of the slow turnover rate of connective tissues, so being your ligaments and tendons and the lack of uh, well-researched methods to actually measure collagen synthesis in these tissues, it ultimately ended up focusing on sort of filling research gaps and informing methodology. Um, so there was a total of four studies that I completed within my PhD. So the first study was actually looking whether bone broth would be a suitable protein source for the key amino acids of interest, because obviously that um, was a very popular 
product at the time and still mm. is circulating um, quite widely. Um, we also wanted to look at whether there were differences in our sort of plasma uh, levels of and time to peak of key amino, sorry, key amino acids after the consumption of various protein sources. So we looked at gelatin, hydrolysis, collagen and casein. Um, because it's really hard to quantify collagen intake, we were also looking to see if we could determine if we could find a um, sort of biomarker of collagen intake because um, there's not a lot of sort of food databases out there or anything like that. So we looked at the excretion of urinary hydroxyproline and this is an amino acid that's typically utilised to measure collagen content or breakdown of collagen. Um, and then the final one was the engineered ligament um, model study. Uh, so we were looking to determine the impact of two collagen sources and casein on the material mechanical properties of ligaments. Um, but we manipulated the media that's used to grow these ligaments in to be more reflective of what is found um, within the body. So in terms of what the engineered ligaments are, it's basically making a little um, sort of ligament in a um, sort of petri dish in the lab uh, using human ACL cells. So pretty cool um, final study to have done in my PhD. Mm, absolutely. And I think you have to go over to California to do that one. Yeah. So I went over to UC Davis in California and was lucky enough to go and work with Keith Barr over there. So... Yeah, really cool experience. Yeah, nice. All right, well, we'll talk a bit more uh, later on, I guess, as it gets to it in terms of, you know, some of those research findings and how they might sort of be incorporated into what athletes might be doing with nutrition uh, for injury recovery. Um, but obviously, you know, you finished your PhD last year. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about sort of what you're doing now? Yeah, so I currently work as a lead performance dietitian at Melbourne Football Club. Um, so pretty much why they're at having such success at the moment. That's right. Because of the protein <laughs> snacks. And my seven-year-old is very grateful for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I also consult at Lakeside Sports Medicine Clinic at MSAC, um, and I've just com commenced some work in the Monash lab with you guys, so that's very exciting. Yeah. I also do um, some casual academic roles as well, so a little bit of everything at the moment. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, um, so our topic tonight is obviously nutrition for, uh, or so what should I do eating-wise if I do become injured? Uh, and, and obviously, you know, as we said, your research is, is very relevant to that, or, or maybe not, we'll, we'll get to that, um, but obviously was, was thought to when you started out, and we'll, we'll see where, that's, where, where that is at now. Uh, and obviously some of the other stuff that you incorporate with your work with, um, with team sport athletes as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so I guess many, many runners, triathletes are pretty familiar with the types of injuries that they get when they're running. So you get your soft tissue, um, connective tissue and, and bone injuries. And for cyclists, they probably get fractures from falls and crashes a bit more. Are there key differences in terms of the, the kind of the biological processes that are involved with healing these different injury types or or are the different injury types pretty similar in in how they heal yeah so I would say probably one of the most notable differences um, in terms of healing of different tissues is blood supply um, so where mm -hmm. there's obviously limited or no blood supply healing tends to be slower so obviously your blood supplies your nutrients and oxygen to the tissue so if that's poorly supplied that's going to have an impact um, of course, it's going to depend on the severity and type of injury regarding the time it takes to heal. 
Um, but muscle tends to have a, a rich blood supply, so it's generally quite a good environment for healing. While tissues like ligaments and cartilage have a very little or no blood supply, so typically healing tends to take um, a lot longer. So um, you can see that in things like ACL injuries, for example. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and what's the common sort of phases of injury reco- recovery? Yep. So I've I've kind of um, se- separated that, I guess, into um, things that are related to nutrition. So. Um, first phase is kind of immobilization. So there tends to be um, a bit of sort of disuse um, after injury, and that might be, you know, even more so if there's been surgery or things like that. Um, and this uh, sort of initial phase is where um, sort of inf- the body responds by increasing inflammation. Um, and this mm-hmm. is often quite demonized. And, you know, there's a lot of anti inflammatory mm. supplements and things like that, but it's actually a necessary mm-hmm. process for the body um, to start that healing process. Um, in terms of the second kind of phase would be sort of that returning to training. Um, so nutritionally, we're sort of looking specifically more at supporting um, the rebuild of those tissues um, to help get the athlete back sort of quicker um, and stronger as fast as possible. And the third and fourth phase, we would typically be um, training to com- play or compete um, and then obviously returning to competition. So in that stage, we're more looking to rebuild sort of physiological adaptations. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And so if a runner, a cyclist or a triathlete do get injured, there's two aspects that might, I guess, have a nutrition implication. So the reduction or they may stop, they may need to stop training um, and the injury recovery itself. So if we start with the actual injury recovery, what role does nutrition play in helping an athlete recover from injury? Yeah, so nutrition's um, going to be really important. So it's often actually overlooked. So if you think of when someone goes to a sort of physiotherapist post-injury, they might not specifically think of nutrition um, in the role that's going to play. But it kind of makes sense in order to help your body to heal and repay. um, It's going to be really important to provide it with nutrients that are required to help facilitate that healing. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And based on the type of injury, so bone versus muscle injury, are nutrition needs different? Yep. So um, there's kind of common things that you want to sort of do across all injuries. So obviously getting an adequate amount of energy to help support healing, um, as well as sort of regular and consistent intake of protein to help uh, assist with tissue repair. Um, So diet quality is also a really important thing to consider. So obviously ensuring that you're consuming sort of nutrient-dense foods and plenty of things like vegetables and fruits. Um, And then there's also foods and supplements which um, may help to sort of minimise muscle mass losses. So things like omega-3 fatty acids or, um, you know, potential supplements like creatine. Um, So with regard to bone tissue, so things like obviously your calcium intake is going to be really important. Um, And you might also look to test vitamin D levels to ensure they're adequate. Um, Something that I've um, experienced with athletes that I work with, it can be pretty common for them to actually reduce sun exposure because they tend to sit inside a lot more. And obviously, if they've got inadequate vitamin D, that's going to impair bone healing. So um, sort of considering that element. Um, In a soft tissue injury, which has a sort of a element of chronic inflammation um, like a tendinopathy nutrients that can help with inflammation um, so your omega-3 fatty acids and polyphenols might be of benefit um, but again obviously that initial phase is necessary but if it's a chronic sort of mm. ongoing inflammation then we might um, be looking to um, put some sort of strategies around that 
Um, and obviously, I'm probably biased in the collagen space, but because it's abundant in, in most, if not all of your body tissues, this is something that I generally sort of recommend to issues to support tissue healing, as it's not very common that we're going to consume it in the Western diet. And what is it specifically, Beck, around collagen? Um, I mean, it's sort of like we've got collagen in the body, so we take collagen presumably because the composition of the collagen in our body is similar to the composition of the collagen that we're eating. So presumably the nutrients that are coming in are kind of what we need to make collagen. Is that kind of the theory behind it? Yeah, so it's, it's kind of similar, I suppose, to, um, you know, like your whey proteins and things like that in terms of obviously collagen is broken down into amino acids and these kind of help um, play a role in, I guess, providing building blocks to help rebuild that tissue. Mm. And it's just that the building blocks for collagen are a little bit different to what they might be for muscle? Yeah, exactly. So they're made up of different um, amino acids. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So collagen is, um, you just use that for your connective tissue injuries? So I tend to, um, I recommend it for most injuries, to be honest. So mm-hmm. um, I definitely think bone from my readings, there's a role of collagen um, with bone healing. So I would quite often recommend that if I've had an athlete that's had a fracture. Um, muscle, the, the um, I guess, information is a bit less clear and your sort of way high leucine proteins are probably going to be more effective, but that's not to say that it may not play a role. And at this stage, there's no sort of, um, I guess, no negative impact. So as an adjunct kind of to your other strategies, it might, might help support um, repairing muscle tissues as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And, and so if we think about the training side of things, um, often when athletes get injured, they um, tend to eat less calories because they're worried that they're going to gain body fat because they're not expending as much energy. Is, is this advisable or are there potential, you know, I guess, negative consequences of that approach? Yeah, so obviously this is a really common approach by athletes, um, you know, regardless of what sport they play. Um, and it's not really advisable, um, particularly in that initial healing phase because your body's actually going to require more energy to help with that process. Um, the other thing it can impact as well is obviously if you're re- eating too restrictively, you can um, impact your intake of nutrients. So obviously, as we've sort of mentioned, there's a lot of nutrients that are involved in the repair of different tissues. So we don't want to go and restrict our intake of that. So it's a bit of a balance to ensure that you're consuming enough to support healing, but, you know, potentially pulling back a little bit on excessive calorie intake, um, which obviously may result in increased fat mass. And just thinking about that, um, like obviously, you know, you talked about other nutrients before in terms of like, you know, omega-3 fatty acids, protein, calcium potentially, um, vitamin D, things like that. Is there a potential um, case to be made then of thinking, okay, well, maybe we need, maybe we don't need as much energy, particularly once that initial phase is over, but we need all of those nutrients. So maybe we need to focus, as you said earlier, on the, the quality. So getting all of those nutrients into maybe less calories worth of food. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the sort of added benefit it can have having a really nutritious diet, you know, um, with a lot of whole foods can potentially reduce your energy intake. So kind of take care of itself in that in that fact, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's not necessarily about needing to go out and take, you know, 25 different supplements in this case. You know, a lot of those nutrients can just be be obtained from eating good food and and plenty of it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You find that quite difficult because um 
I mean, athletes, I find I've gotten injured flatmate at the moment um, who we'll talk about in the next podcast or talk with. Um, and, you know, like their appetite can, you know, be somewhat hampered because they're not expending as much as well feel like they're expending as much. So do you find that quite um, challenging? Yeah, it can be. I mean, it depends obviously on the different athletes. So mm. some athletes find that um, their appetites increase because obviously exercise can reduce um, people's appetite. So mm. yeah, it can be. And again, again it's just getting that really um, focusing on those really sort of nutrient dense foods in that case. So you're getting everything that you need, um, even on the back of sort of reduced appetite. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And alcohol. So um, can alcohol have a negative impact on recovery from injury, either on the day of the injury or during the rehab process? Yep. So absolutely. So obviously alcohol increases inflammation within the body. Um, so we know, as I mentioned before, excessive inflammation can impair healing. Um, also increases the strength, stress response of the body as well, um, and this can prevent blood clotting. So obviously that's involved in healing as well. Um, and the other impact it can have is excessive calorie intake. So if an athlete's wanting to sort of maintain body composition and they're getting empty sort of calories from alcohol intake, it's obviously not ideal. So that inflammation stuff you're talking about then, Beck, is kind of that acute stuff like in that first few days after the injury um, where that's particularly relevant? Yeah, so obviously there's like the natural kind of um, inflammation from the body to sort of increase signaling to encourage healing. Um, but when it's excessive amount of inflammation, that's when we can sort of run into some issues. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, so obviously, yeah, as we talked about before, your PhD focused around sort of connective tissue and you mentioned sort of the collagen before and providing those sort of, uh, I guess, like for like nutrients with um with the collagen in our body that we need to uh, try and produce more of potentially during a, an injury uh, repair process. Um, we, th- we think about collagen a lot, as you mentioned, um, there are uh, other things that are often talked about, things like bone broth or um, gelatin, which you, know, you mentioned um, Greg Shaw was doing that sort of research there. What's the link between sort of bone broth, gelatin and collagen? Yeah, so as I, as I sort of mentioned before, collagen is the main protein sort of found within the body um, and it's made up of those specific amino acids which include glycine and proline. Um, so collagen can come from different sources, so obviously gelatin, um, bone broth, hydrolyzed collagen. So the difference um, in those are obviously bone broth is a food source, gelatin um, is sort of a partially broken down collagen, so it's quite still quite thick and hard to mix within water, whereas your hydrolyzed collagen has had sort of hydrogen bonds broken um, within it, so that results in a substance that's sort of easily uh, able to mix within fluids. Yeah. But either way, they're going to get the same kind of amino acids that you're trying to achieve no matter which one of those sources by the sound of it. Yeah, not bone broth necessarily. Uh So that's one of your findings from your PhD? Yeah, so bone broth was just really variable in the amino acids that it um, contained. So, And some of them were just pretty much bone-flavoured water. Um, And I know one in particular was a jar of it, which was about $60, and it was just Mm. literally bone-flavoured water. So, Mm. Sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't be a happy athlete if you were taking that, eh? Mm. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think we've talked 
more or less behind the theory of how it works. So you've got these collagen proteins, which are high in, you know, particularly glycine and, and proline, so two of those amino acids. So, you know, like all proteins, we break them down back into their amino acids as we digest our food. Those amino acids get absorbed into our body and then we can use those to build tissues with. So obviously if we need to build more collagen, uh, we need more proline and glycine as two of the amino acids that are quite abundant in collagen. Uh, and so that's the theory there was we, um, we have an excess or a, an increased requirement for glycine and proline during this time. And so we need to get that from food. And this is a way of getting that in. Is that more or less the, the theory? Yeah, that's correct. So we don't know um, exactly which amino acid specifically is involved um, yet, but um, it's sort of leaning probably more towards the glycine um, theory. But yeah, it is, you know, more about those amino acids and providing your body with um, amino acids abundant in those proteins that you're trying to sort of increase in the body. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and in terms of scientific evidence uh, and I guess coming to some guidelines around that I mean you mentioned that you, you sometimes will use you know, collagen supplements with athletes particularly around sort of the injury side of things where's the kind of the state of the research at with this now it's, it's obviously an area that's relatively new um, in sports nutrition terms uh, but but where are we at with it at the moment Yes, that's still pretty scarce, to be honest, um, particularly within connective tissues such as the ligaments and tendons, um, because they're, they're quite hard to research in terms of uh, intervention studies and you can't, you know, taking a biopsy um, from a ligament, which is really um, slow to heal, is probably not appropriate. So most of the literature is still kind of limited to animal or cul uh, cell culture models. Um, yeah, so still kind of in its infancy, I would say, and we're still sort of the pieces the puzzle pieces together with it yeah yeah okay and and for those who um might be interested in doing uh, or you know trying you know collagen supplements or um using gelatin or something is there a specific dose that they should be aiming to achieve in a, in a single serving yeah so i think um it's probably similar to sort of, you know, your whey proteins or high lacing proteins in terms of grams per kilograms of body mass, um, but they sort of haven't done a lot of enough research, I guess, to elaborate on that. But the sort of amount, um, optimal amount at present appears to be about 15 to 20 grams. Mm -hmm. Of, you know, isolated collagen protein or something equivalent yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah, sort of your, of your gelatin or collagen powder. Yeah. And is that, like, with gelatin, is that, like half a kilo of jelly or is it just a normal serving size to get that amount of sort of collagen in? So jelly is not a um, great source of gelatin so you'd have to sort of make it with that sort of 20 grams of gelatin powder um, yep. but it's not the most palatable so mm. in terms of palatability um, your hydrolyzed collagen is best. Um, we do mm. one of my studies was actually when we were looking at the sort of peaks of those different amino acids after the ingestion of gelatin versus hydrolyzed collagen, there wasn't much difference. Um, so you're still going to kind of get the same amount of those amino acids, regardless of whether you have the gelatin or the collagen. It's just the coll this hydrolyzed collagen is just easier to mix in water, and so it's more um, easy to consume, I guess. Yeah, yep. So sort of, I guess, the early studies and the, the hype in the early days about making all these, you know, jelly shots and stuff for athletes has kind of come and gone, I suppose? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and don't... Yeah, don't you have to, um, I'm pretty sure from memory um, when I was had an Achilles injury a while ago, 
I spoke to Greg and um, don't you need to take that um, prior to then you doing, I'm pretty sure he got me doing skipping or something. So yeah, can you explain like what's the approach for athletes like when they take it, should they be exercising that injured muscle? Yeah, so um, with muscle and bone, I don't think, I think because it's um, better supplied by blood, I think obviously that yeah. blood, flow, the blood flow is increased. Um, so timing yeah. probably isn't as specific as with ligaments and tendons. But, mm-hmm. you know, with your, your ligaments or your tendons, because there is poor blood supply, you want to have it before um, exercise. So when that blood flow is peak, um, so which would have been during skipping in, in your case, um, you're wanting to have that sort of 30 to 60 minutes before you're going to yeah. get that peak of blood flow, if that makes sense. Yep. Mm. yep. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. And then, I mean, obviously, like when we normally eat protein or we think about protein, we talk about it, you know, over multiple, you know, you have multiple meals over the day that contain protein or, or snacks or something like that. So if you're using something like collagen for injury rehab, uh, or trying to enhance the the injury rehab process. Is it something that you would just take once a day, or would you potentially take it multiple times a day? How does that kind of work? Like, I guess if it's connective tissue, it might just be that once a day immediately before that exercise. Uh, but if it's muscle or bone, would you consider doing it more often than that? Yeah. So I've sort of um, I've used it probably at most twice a day, just because of the um, you know, burden it can have on athletes and just costs and things that are associated with it. Um, in terms of the connective tissue, we found that it kind of hung around in the system for up to six hours. Um, but obviously you're wanting to align it with that peak sort of blood flow. So um, in correlation to exercise, um, and obviously if you've got an injury, you're not going to be exercising that tissue constantly throughout the day. So sort of around those, you know, um, range of movement exercises or any sort of exercise routine you've got around that yeah okay um and the collagen proteins or protein powders seem to be all the rage at the moment they're just everywhere uh, and marketed for everything are there different types of collagen powders and are there like certain types that you maybe we need to be wary of for any particular reason either they're not particularly effective or they taste terrible or they're a risk for anti-doping or anything like that or, or are they all fairly similar just different brands yeah so i think they like in terms of brands they're fairly similar it's a hydrolyzed collagen powder um so you know even the different animal types there's not a massive variation um in the amino acids content of those um obviously with every supplement there's doping risks so obviously having a batch tested um, variety if you're an elite athlete or um yeah, is advisable um yeah, there's nothing, I guess, most of the pro- the sort of collagen powders I've come across have been plain. Um, the hydrolyzed collagen powders, some of them have got some probiotics in them. But in general, I think they're pretty much of a muchness. Gelatin isn't the best tasting, but obviously um, you don't need to worry about batch testing with that. And it's really easily accessible just from the supermarket and cheap as well. Yep. Yeah. And as I said before, like collagen powders, or, you know, hydrolyzed collagen has been marketed for everything under the sun are there any other useful purposes for it apart from injury rehab yes yeah, so i know there's some sort of research in the gut space gut health space but i haven't sort of delved 
too deep into that. Um, so I, the purpose I would, you know, mostly use it for is that sort of connective tissue or, you know, injury space. Um, the other thing it can be used for as well is um, one of the amino acids, glycine, has actually got an anti-inflammatory role in it. So um, it's there's some evidence to suggest it might help with joint pain um, and arthritis and things like that as well. So it might be effective in that space. Okay. Cool. And um, also with the collagen, so you're sort of saying, you know, maybe 15, 20 grams of collagen, how much um, glycine and proline, like that's obviously because there's a certain amount of glycine and proline in that. What's yep. the rough amount that's usually in? That's a good question. I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> could, Doesn't I could matter. I pull up one of my research papers, but yeah. It's, yep. it's, but it's, it's because a certain amount, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, and as I said, when we looked at different, we looked at different types of hydrolyzed collagen, gelatin, they were all similar. So similar. It, it, yep. yeah, it appears you're going to cool. get the same amount regardless. Yep. yep. Awesome. Okay. Um, are there other supplements out there or nutritional sort of practices or strategies that are, are marketed at athletes for specifically around this kind of injury rehab or recovery point of view? Yes, I think like with anything, um, there's always going to be an abundance of products that are going to claim to sort of be the answer. But um, uh, Personally, I think it's a case of, you know, optimal and adequate nutrition first and foremost, ensuring that you're getting, you know, the right amount of energy, obviously macronutrients such as protein to help tissue healing um, and then all of the micronutrients that are involved in tissue repair. Um, so, you know, some things that have some good research behind them that's been around for a long time is arginine in terms of, of wound healing, which may be required in higher amounts um, sort of post-injury. It's not something we'd commonly use, I guess, in an athletic setting or not something I commonly use um, but things you know if it's an inflammation or tendinopathy kind of issue things like your curcumin or other polyphenols may be a benefit to help sort of reduce that inflammation and, and pain associated with that. Yeah and where's the sort of the scientific evidence at at this stage with those kind of things like the polyphenols and the curcumin and so on? Yeah, so I think it's it's evolving pretty quickly. Um, so I'm I'm doing some work with Louise, who you mentioned you had on um, recently. And we're actually part of that is looking at sort of literature review around these um, polyphenols, and it just seems in the last sort of five years, there's there's been an, an a increase um, in sort of research in the area. But it's kind of at all looking at all different mechanisms and you know muscle soreness and things like that as well. So I think it's definitely evolving, um, but obviously it's got a bit bit more to go mm. so it sounds like we're not really at the stage yet where we can say you know polyphenols definitely work this is what you should use in what dose at what time or you know we're a long way away from that kind of level of advice yeah i think so but i think it's the kind of thought process with that because it's a um you know something like cherry juice if it's a food sort of based product it's you know probably a low risk um you know particularly you can i've seen you can get it from health food stores and and things like that as well so yeah, and I like for me as well the the curcumin sort of story that versus NSAIDs, obviously, which we know kind of have can have some pretty significant impacts. If mm. you know if if it's effective with the athlete, if they're finding it um, is reducing pain and inflammation and things like that, then I would I would sort of lean towards using curcumin over yep. anti-inflammatory. Have you found that, Beck, in working with some injured athletes that it has helped or? Yeah, definitely. And and particularly athletes that have had sort of gut damage or, you know, um, implications from having too much anti-inflammatories um, and, and feeling mm -hmm. 
ill because of that, switching them on to things like curcumin and, and fish oils seems to be quite effective. So obviously mm. anecdotal evidence, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And where is, just on the topic of fish oil, because I know that is one that you mentioned earlier and, and has been talked about a while yeah, for a while now in terms of injury rehab, where's the kind of the science at with that at the moment? Yeah, so in terms of the sort of disuse atrophy and, and helping to prevent sort of losses to muscle mass, it seems to be quite good. Um, and then obviously I mentioned creatine as well in that, that same space. Um, they seem to be two sort of common um, supplements to use to sort of help prevent losses to muscle mass. Um, in terms of inflammation, obviously omega-3 um, balance in the body is going to influence uh, inflammation within the body. Um, I would always, you know, m more often than not sort of recommend oily or fatty fish intake. Um, again, obviously food first. Um, yeah, I think... Yeah. Does that answer that question? Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't <laughs> yeah, sound like yeah. you need massive doses, like fish oil supplements, like massive doses above what you could get from sort of high, high oily fish and that kind of thing anyway. Yeah, so I think for the inflammation, I think there's a lot that can be done through diet. I know for sort of the disuse atrophy, um, it's, it's around that three gram mark. So obviously supplements okay. is going to be more beneficial than sort of food intake or easier to get that amount. Yeah. So that's mm. essentially like when people stop, like have to stop training completely if they've broken a leg or an arm or something to stop that mu or minimize the muscle wasting that occurs at the time. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, so putting everything together, I guess, uh, from both your PhD and obviously your work um, with athletes and particularly in contact sports, now that you see some pretty frequent and, and pretty severe injuries, um, how would you kind of summarise that into kind of top nutrition tips for people when they when they are injured? What what are the things that do you think they should prioritise? Yeah, so um, it's pretty. Um, well, I think it's pretty common sense to me. Um, what I would sort of recommend to the athletes, it doesn't need to be overcomplicated. So, obviously, the first thing I always tell them is to maintain their diet quality. So, um, you know, that nutrient density is really important. So, trying to provide everything that their body needs to support their healing through food, sort of first and foremost. Um, just telling them to keep eating plenty of vegetables and fruits. And I'm definitely like a broken record with that message at the club. I could probably get sick of hearing Especially you say with, that. Especially uh, young 20-something-year-old boys. Yep. Yeah, I get a few eye rolls when I say that. But <laughs> um, uh, The second thing I'd probably be is to tell them to maintain their protein intake to assist with healing um, and then obviously to prevent lean mass losses. So sort of having those, you know, six or so sort of hits, small hits of protein throughout the day. Um, obviously don't encourage excessive restriction of sort of energy or um you know, any, any types of food groups or anything like that. But um, given that our, you know, in the AFL setting, their carbohydrate intake around training is quite high. So I might recommend they pull back on their carbohydrate intake to help sort of prevent excessive sort of increases in fat mass. Um, and then obviously the, you know, the obvious one is to avoid alcohol consumption because if they're trying to sort of get back playing as soon as possible, that's just going to interfere um, with their efforts. Yep. Yep. Cool. And the supplements is kind of the icing on that cake, so to speak. Get all of that other stuff right. Yeah, first. exactly. Yeah. So I'll, yeah. yeah, obviously, you know, I've have a consultation with them, talk about their diet first and foremost, and then sort of recommend some specific supplements that might help with healing yeah. of that specific tissue. 
Yeah. And are there any other things out there that you see uh, athletes doing around sort of injury rehab that you feel is really overrated or potentially distracting them from the stuff that's actually beneficial to them? Yeah. So, I mean, there's always fad diets that are going to come in and out, um, I guess, of sport culture in general. Um, supplements, not not as much, um, particularly with the spots that I've worked in, in in rugby and AFL. It might be different in um, sort of more endurance-based sports. Um, things like vitamin C seems to just hang around and, and be something that athletes just think they need to take. Um, and obviously not something that that we would you know typically encourage we might encourage it you know in terms of if they weren't sort of training and it's not going to interfere with you know physiological adaptation or um, have any sort of negative 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 impacts um but yeah i would it's more just i guess supplements or um fad diets that don't have really good evidence behind it you know if it's a, a website or a bottle that's just claiming something and doesn't actually have the research to back it up i think that's you know really distracting from you know and obviously with supplement intake that can distract them from eating a good diet so I think that would be Mm. yeah the main kind of things yep and you actually just reminded me Beck, when you mentioned the word vitamin c I forgot to ask you about that before in the early days of a lot of the research around gelatin it was often taken together with Mm. vitamin c so I guess the question is why was that the case and is that still recommended whether it's gelatin or even with hydrolyzed collagen, is there a need to combine it with vitamin C or not? Yeah, so vitamin C is involved in the process of um, collagen synthesis. So, you know, another reason to promote fruit intake. Um, And I think it's more of a, you know, when they did the study, they looked at um, vitamin C versus no vitamin C. So I think it's more of an adequacy of vitamin C intake. Um, So again, encouraging that good diet. If they were to, you know, have it first thing in the morning, they were fasted, then you might um, have it with the vitamin C. But I don't think with a good diet, I don't think it's necessary if it's sort of later in the day. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like it doesn't have to be mega doses anyway, like if you're having... I don't know, a bit of fruit or a glass of orange juice at the same time in the morning, it's probably going to cover your your needs. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I typically encourage rather than giving vitamin C supplement. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think Steph managed this, mentioned this a little bit earlier, but, um, you know, often people, um, their appetite will decline um, in a period where they're sort of off training for a period of time or, or modified training. Are there any tips that you have to help people if that loss of appetite is becoming a real problem? Yeah, so I mean, like again, back to that sort of diet quality, obviously making sure that, you know, everything they're eating is really nutrient dense and is not sort of a source of sort of those empty calories. Um, obviously, if it's a, it becomes an impact in terms of inadequate energy where it's going to result in sort of not supporting healing or potentially excessive sort of um, body mass losses, then you might sort of have more of those um I guess, energy-dense foods, but still sort of opting for those healthy options. So things like nuts, avocado, um, you know, obviously having things like your liquid um, types of foods to sort of get a lot of energy out of that. So things like um, smoothies are great because you can obviously add lots of different, you know, nutrition in there, um, but a lot of energy in there as well. Um, Yeah, and then obviously just your kind of your general things that you might uh, recommend for, you know, if... um, those sort of easier to eat foods that you can get, you know, quite a lot of energy out of them. So things that might have a little bit of sodium or salt to them as well. Yeah. If it's kind of just a case of obviously topping up energy, but again, you'd want to sort of recommend that 
you know, nutrient density and diet quality first and foremost. Okay. Uh, and then the final question, I guess, is more of a, a practical one. So obviously, if someone's injured, they might be immobile for, for you know, if it's an arm or a leg or a wrist or whatever it is, collarbone. Um, that often makes the, the practical aspects of nutrition more difficult. So things like cooking, shopping, uh, even feeding yourself, you know, depending on where you're injured. Um, any sort of tips or tricks you've picked up along the way of how athletes can make life easier for themselves if that's the case? Yeah, so um, obviously partners are a really big help when an athlete's injured. If they'd live by themselves, they might go back back home, um, you know, if, if that's feasible or you might get a family member to sort of come and help. Um, having convenient, easy-to-make meals at home, so there's a lot of a lot that's available now in terms of, you know, brown rice sachets, sachets of frozen veggies, you know, tin tuna, a lot of sort of easy-to-make make things um in that respect and there's quite a lot of good meal prep companies now as well i found so there's like an abundance of you know options in terms of that and even things like your hello fresh and um and and options such as those you can obviously choose better sort of choices um that are going to be more in line with your goals um and then you know you can get groceries delivered to your house as well now so i think yeah all of those things can sort of help um to make sure you're maintaining that nutrition yeah. Okay. All sounds pretty good. Okay, so I'm going to hand over to Steph now to finish off with our bonus round. Awesome. Cool. This is the fun bit where they get to know a bit more about you, Beck. Cool. Um, so if you could do anything besides what you're doing now, what would it be? Uh, if it's not job-related, I would say travelling. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know when that's going to start off again. Um, mm-hmm. I had grand plans to go to the UK and Europe and all that kind of stuff, um, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. Career-wise, yeah. it would probably be something like journalism because I really, I really like writing. I, don't know, I mean, yeah. I had six months after doing my PhD, that, that wasn't <laughs> the case, but yeah, I really love that. Um, you know, writing style and yeah, yeah. I think that would probably yeah. be my career choice. Jano, nice. And one of the things on your bucket list that you haven't yet done besides being able to do the travel? Yeah, that's that's probably my bucket list is <laughs> the travel. It. Yeah, um, just, yep. I don't know, I'd love to go to Europe and try all the food there and I just, yeah, yep. travel is like my thing outside of work that I love to do. So um, yep. I, I, I'm going to say skydiving but whether I'd actually have the guts to, to do that mm-hmm. when I got up in the air, I don't know. But yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's all right. Yeah. If yeah, if you go with someone, they'll push you out anyway. So you've just got to actually just get on the plane, and then you're good. You're done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've done it too, and uh, I'm not a fan of heights. But once you're kind of strapped in, you don't really have a choice. Yeah, see, I couldn't do bungee jumping. I don't know something about seeing where you're going, um, but skydiving, yep. for some reason, I can, that can, can entertain the idea of that. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, and what's a sport you've always wanted to do but you've never done? Um, probably ice hockey or roller derby. Mm, cool, yeah. yeah. They sound like pretty good sports, yep. And anyone you've always wanted to meet but you have not yet had the chance? Yep, so this is back to my travel thing again. Um, but I definitely want to go and, um, I guess, meet the team at um, 
John Moore's University in Liverpool. Yeah. So that was yep. that was kind of an intention maybe a year or two ago and it was it was looking like that was going to happen because um, I actually met one of the um, researchers there, Dan Owens, when I was in UC Davis at California um, yep. and he sort of mentioned they've constantly got research projects running so, you know, they'd be more than welcome mm. to, to um, accept a spare set of hands but, yep. yeah, that obviously hasn't happened yet but yep. I'm hoping that does Maybe. at some mm. stage. We've had a few John yeah. Moores people on the podcast actually. We had Jose Arita, oh, uh, had Sam Impey, he's not at John Moores anymore but he did his PhD there with that team but he's uh, now working with Team Bike Exchange, he's at the Tour de France right now in fact. Um, yep. Yeah. Mm. Oh and yeah. James Moran. Yeah nice. Mm. Mm. Yeah they do amazing research. Yeah definitely. Yep and final question. Do you live by any piece of advice or particular motto that you've got? Yeah, so one my dad used to say to me is the world is your oyster. Um, so I just I kind of, it to me, that kind of indicates that the world's full of opportunity and you just sort of have to reach for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Definitely. And I think you've certainly done that with uh, projects you've been involved with over the last few years, Beck, and, and where you're working now, which is fantastic to see. And, uh, yeah, great to have you back at Monash with us as well. Um, so thanks so much for your time tonight. And, uh, yeah, hopefully this has been really helpful for some people who are injured or when they do get injured, they can quickly come back and listen to this podcast and mm. work out what they need to do. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Beck. Thanks, guys. All right, a big thanks to Rebecca Alcock for sharing her knowledge and wisdom, not only as a researcher, but as a a practitioner working with athletes as well. Um, Steph, do you want to give us a a brief summary? I think actually Beck summed it up pretty well, so there's probably not a lot we have to do here, but anything you want to add to that or or I guess talk about when people get injured, what should they think about in terms of nutrition? Yeah, I think, number one, think about nutrition um, and that it does play an important part of the injury recovery and and rehab process. Um, Just as we know, it plays an important part in training and racing, etc. It has an important part in in the injury recovery. Um, I've also actually been doing a a lecture on... um, on food and mental health as well and you know when we're injured sometimes unfortunately we can also feel down so Mm. um you know having a good healthy diet's also important to help with the mental health side of it as well um as a little side but i think just key points from beck um you know make sure we do have sufficient energy in for um to help with that injury recovery process um because the we're we're healing so um we need we need the energy for that yes if our training load is backing back um, potentially we may need to you know reduce a little bit but um, be sensible in how much we do that Uh, and then really you know quality diet so you know now's the time where you probably may need to cut back on potentially if you were having a lot of extra less healthier sort of options well, now you kind of need to make the most for, for what you are consuming. So make sure what you're getting in is, is quality nutrition. Um, and we know, you know, protein is an important part for, for helping your, your injury heal. Um, and so Beck sort of spoke about, you know, maybe four or six hits of that um, in the day. Um, and then um, with 
us talking about protein, one of the key areas that she researched in was was looking at um, things like bone broth, gelatin and, and collagen. Um, and it seems that hydrolyzed collagen is probably the most, um, I guess, appealing in terms of how it tastes, but also in terms of the um, important amino acids that it delivers. Um, so that seems to be an important bit and about 15 to 20 grams of that. And Beck sort of does it from a practical point of view two times in, in the day um, because it can also be, I guess, a bit costly for athletes too to do. Um, if you have something like a tendon injury, um, you potentially may need to have that collagen 30 to 60 minutes before you may exercise that particular tendon. Um, uh, and then just, you know, some, some of the anti-inflammatories, um, things like fish oil, um, curcumin, um, you know, flavonoids and those types of things, but perhaps not going too crazy with those in that sort of immediate recovery process because that's when, you know, we will have some inflammation occurring, but that inflammatory process is important for that healing part. So, um, yes, we may need that, but we may need to do that a little bit later on when that inflammation has settled down. Um, so I think they're probably some of the key points that, that our listeners would, will benefit from. And, um, and when we're injured, yes, it's harder to get around. Um, so make use of your friends, your partner, your family members. Beck was saying, you know, there's really great meals and ready-made meals and you can get groceries delivered to you. Um, so yeah. Mm. And I think often, you know, when people are injured, they're sitting on the couch feeling sorry for themselves, watching Netflix or something like that. Yes. Yeah, as you said, the temptation is to um, just say, stuff the food mm. and, you know, eat chocolate and biscuits and chips and whatever. Um, but that's the time that the diet quality is going to be even more important. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, a bit, bit counterintuitive, I guess, to some degree, but um, really important mm. nonetheless. Yep. Yep. Mm. Awesome. All right, thanks for that summary, Steph. Um, that, I think, closes uh, this episode off for today nicely. Uh, but let's think ahead to our next episode, our B episode. Um, who have we got to, to talk to in, in episode B and, and what are we going to talk mm. about? So we have the lovely Kate Gifford. I won't say her full name because she'll kill me. Um, so she she's my, my flatmate, my lovely flatmate. Uh, but she's also a, a runner um, and, yeah, she's, she's got a lot of experience with running, um, got a scholarship over in the US and um, did steeplechasing and now is over here running and coaches but um, has, hasn't had a heap of luck with, with injuries uh, and so she's had a recent injury op which we'll talk to her about um, next week with her and... Um, because I guess she benefits from being in my lovely company, Alan, um, <laughs> we wanted to talk about, you know, what, what, what she's been doing in terms of nutrition for her particular injury and, and how her experience has been and get some practical, practical tips from her as well. So it's, it's adding on to Beck's and it's giving the athlete's perspective on how Kate's tackled her nutrition to help um, with her rehab for injury. Yeah. And as you said that, I'm just picturing her sitting on the couch feeling sorry for herself and watching Netflix 
and you like feeding her like broccoli and avocado and things. <laughs> nah, no, I'm stealing her chocolate and ice cream that she wants to eat. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and eating it around the corner where she can't see you. Yeah, exactly right. All right. Um, so that's that's it for today's episode. Um, as always, as we said earlier, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at The Long Munch on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to um, put a review on, on Apple Podcasts or, or give us a rating on there, we'd appreciate that as well. Um, but other than that, I think that's us done for today. So have a great week, everyone. And we'll be back next week for our B episode with Kate Gibbons. Awesome. Cool. We'll see you then.